Hello Church, I am privileged to speak to you today continuing our series on John 15. Ian introduced us to Jesus as the true vine and God the vine dresser. Jesus continues this metaphor by calling his followers to abide in him. So we'll be looking at verses 4 through 8 and let's read them now. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus says, abide in me. So what does it mean to abide in Jesus? What does an abiding life look like? We're going to look at why Jesus calls us to abide in him and three marks of the abiding life. In the Greek, the word abide means to stay, to remain, to dwell, to continue, to wait for or endure. The NIV translates in this verse, abide, as remain. Remain in me, and I in you. Just as the branch must remain connected to the vine to receive water and nutrients, so too we must remain connected to Jesus, our true vine, for our very spiritual lifeblood. We keep a small garden every summer, just a few vegetables and herbs, and we always plant cucumbers. This year, our cucumbers flourished, and it really was amazing to watch those abiding branches multiply and grow further and further out, producing more cucumbers than we could consume. But if we cut off one of those cucumber branches from the vine, it would very soon wither and die. Without the vine, the branch is nothing. It's lifeless, dead. The vine gives life to its branches. So when you zoom out and look at the book of John as a whole, you see that one of his overarching themes is life. The book begins in verse 4 with, In him was life, talking about Jesus, and summarizes in chapter 20, verse 31, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Elsewhere, John records Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, the life, and I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Do you see what John was getting at? Jesus is life. He is our very life. That's why Jesus used the metaphor of the vine and the branches to give his disciples a tangible picture of who he was to be in their everyday lives. When we talk about receiving Christ or being saved, especially with children, we sometimes make the mistake of overemphasizing that by believing in Jesus, one day we will live in heaven forever with him. That can seem to be the ultimate goal, like we're all just waiting here for heaven. But listen to what Jesus prays in John 17, 3. He says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Knowing Jesus is this abundant, eternal life he promised. We don't have to wait for it. He's the goal. He is the prize. True life is found in him right here on earth. 
We may only experience in part what we will one day experience fully in the new creation, but we can enjoy real fullness of joy in fellowship with Jesus here and now. And the reverse is also true. Jesus tells us the grim reality of not abiding in him. It stands in stark contrast to this theme of life. In verse 6, Jesus says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Abiding in Jesus gives life. Not abiding in Jesus leads to death. Commentaries on this verse are mixed, asking, does this verse say we can lose our salvation? Or is it referring to an act of discipline that draws us back to God? Most often in the New Testament, fire represents eternal condemnation or judgment. Therefore, it's most likely that Jesus was referring here to people who may have followed him at first or initially believed, but their hearts were not fully converted. We see evidence of this in other verses like Matthew 7, 21 through 23, where Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. It's like the parable of the sower. In the parable, seeds that fall on the rocky ground fail to take root and grow. And Jesus explained these represent people who receive the gospel with joy, but when a trial comes, they fall away. Verses like these are sobering, and that's why we must pay attention to Jesus' call to abide. So let's look at Jesus' words and tease out what the abiding life looks like. There are three marks of an abiding life Jesus mentions in this passage. The abiding life abides in his word, the abiding life bears fruit, and the abiding life glorifies God. The first mark of an abiding life is abiding in his word. Jesus said, knowing him is eternal life. Knowing a person takes time. I'm sure some of you married couples who have been married many years more than I would attest to this fact. You're still getting to know your spouse. Knowing Jesus will take more than a lifetime. In fact, we'll enjoy knowing and learning more about him for eternity, for his ways are beyond understanding. But to really know someone, you must be present with them, You must observe their ways and spend time in conversation with them, listening, asking questions, fully present with them and interested in who they are. To know Jesus is the same. We must be present with Jesus, spending time in prayer, listening and asking questions, observing Jesus in the Bible, how he interacted with people and how he's speaking to us through it now. Jesus said in John 8, 31, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We need daily immersion in Jesus' word in the Bible to know the truth. There is so much out there threatening our hold on the truth. The world, the devil, even our own flesh is speaking to us all the time, and most of it is not good. We need to continually fill ourselves with the truth in order to battle those lies. 
The Bible calls God's words a shield, a sword of truth, a lamp to our feet, and a light to our path, living and powerful. Psalm 19 says his word is perfect. It revives the soul, makes wise the simple, rejoices the heart, and enlightens the eyes. There is no end to its treasures, no summit of its wisdom. Abiding in Jesus means abiding in his word. If you're new to reading the Bible, it can be intimidating to know where or how to start. Or if you're in a busy season like raising little kids like me, you may find it challenging to find a quiet moment to yourself. So start simple. Read one Psalm every day. God used the Psalms to overwhelm me with his love a few years ago, and he began to speak to me in new ways that fostered a desire in me to be in his word. Or try listening to the Bible on audio while you're driving or washing the dishes. Or gather with other believers to be in the word together. The purpose of our community groups is to abide alongside one another. It can be so helpful to hear from other Christians how God is speaking to them through the Bible. I know it has given me new perspectives and fresh excitement to hear from him. The second mark of an abiding life is bearing fruit. In verse 5, it says, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The purpose of the vine and the branches is to bear fruit. God is all about bearing fruit. His charge to Adam and Eve at creation was, Be fruitful and multiply. Later in John 15, in verse 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Bearing fruit in our lives looks like obedience to his promptings, loving our neighbor, growing in Christ's likeness by the fruit of the Spirit. It is multiplying God's kingdom, as in Jesus' great commission to go forth and make disciples of all nations. And by our fruit, Jesus says, we prove to be his disciples. Understood another way, 1 John 2, 6 says, Whoever says he abides ought to walk in the same way he walked. As we abide in Jesus, our lives should look more and more like his. Now, if you're like me, at this point in the message, you may start to feel a burden on your shoulders or a pressure building in your chest because this feels like a list of ways you're not measuring up. I hesitated to talk through the spiritual disciplines in the context of abiding because I know we're all prone to turn it into a formula. I read my Bible, I pray and commune with God, and boom, I'll bear fruit. That's what I need to do, so I'll just buckle down and do it. And yes, spiritual disciplines like reading the Bible and daily prayer are important. I have found in my journey with the Lord that there is a direct correlation between my lack of prayer and being in God's word and lack of spiritual fruit in my life. When I am not abiding, I am more fearful, more self-focused, more prone to chase after the things of this world. And that's just the thing. I have come to understand that it's not a matter of abiding just being good for me. It is essential for me. We need to abide in Jesus because we need Jesus. That's why John keeps repeating that life is found in him. Because when we recognize our deep need for the Lord, not just one time when he first saved us, but every moment of every day, we will see that we can, as Jesus says, do nothing apart from him. 
That is truly the secret of abiding in him. It is knowing our need, knowing our weakness, our inability to do good works and love others as we should. When our heart posture is humility, we know who we are before a holy God. Humility means knowing we have done nothing to earn our salvation, that grace is a gift we did not deserve, and that anything worthy in me is because of Jesus' work in my life. And on this Christian walk, we all find ourselves in that place sooner or later. Whether through suffering, inadequacy, or our own sin, we will be face to face with our utter lack in and of ourselves. I don't know about you, but it seems like the longer I've been a Christian, the more aware I am of my sin. And that's because the more I know the Lord, the more in awe of Him I become, the extent of His greatness and power, the perfection of His holiness and justice, the depths of His mercy and love. And the more I see my humanity for what it is, I am not God. Only then, in that place, can we produce true fruit in our lives, fruit that lasts, when we are not striving, but surrendering. And yet, so easily I fall back into a place of pride. Pride is the real enemy of abiding. Our pride would have us think we don't need Jesus all the time. We can handle things pretty well on our own. We're strong enough. We know enough. We've got control over that sin issue in our lives. We're saved. Pride in me says, at least I'm not as bad as them over there. But the truth is, we all fall short of the glory of God. Sometimes our lives can even look really good on the outside, but inside our motivations are for our own glory, not God's. I have been there in that place of striving outwardly for man's praise, while inwardly I was exhausted, overwhelmed, and unhappy. But by His grace, God opened my eyes to see my need, not run from it. In fact, to take joy in it. Andrew Murray was a minister and writer in South Africa, the son of Scottish missionaries, and he wrote many books, including a devotional called Abide in Me. In it, he says this, the Christian thinks his weaknesses are his greatest hindrance in the life and service of God. God tells us that it is the secret of strength and success. It is our weakness, heartily accepted and continually realized, that gives our claim and access to the strength of him who has said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. I love that. Our weakness, heartily accepted, and continually realized. That is what makes us cleave to Jesus, fully embracing our weakness, our limitations, our sinfulness, our lack of faith, all of it, Jesus says, bring it to me and I will give you rest. I will give you joy. I will give you abundant life and I will use you powerfully in the lives of the people around you bearing much fruit. As Murray pointed out, the most heavily laden branches bow the lowest. May we bow low in humility and surrender so that our lives would be heavily laden with fruit, all to glorify the Father. That brings me to the last mark of the abiding life. Abiding in Jesus glorifies God. Jesus said in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. God is out to show all people his glory, so that they might believe in him. 
and our lives will do just that as we abide in Jesus. Bearing fruit is evidence of a changed life. The gospel causes us to do things that don't make sense to the world, and eventually this will cause the unbeliever to ask, why do you do what you do? What motivates your joy, your generosity, your hope in this hopeless situation? And in that moment, we have an opportunity to share with them the love that has changed our hearts, the reason for the hope that we have. My husband, Nick, recently left his job of 10 years at a big corporate company. The environment there was very competitive and for the most part, employees had to look out for their own interests rather than help others in order to succeed. Now, I don't mean to brag about him, but Nick found a way to be successful and unselfish. It's no accident, it was the Holy Spirit. In bearing fruit by being kind, offering help to others, and even just having a positive attitude, his co-workers could tell there was something different about him. And it led to more than one of them asking him questions and giving Nick an opportunity to share a little bit about his faith. Our abiding can make a real lasting impact on the people God puts in our path. We can bear fruit and multiply his kingdom. We can glorify him through our everyday abiding. But let us not forget, God is the vine dresser. He is the great gardener, the one who planted us and gave us life. By his grace, he chose us. By his grace, he redeemed us. By his grace, will he not lead us and guide us and keep us in him? Jesus promised us in John 10, 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. We have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Even when we fail to abide, when we wander and follow our own way, he will not give up on us. He will ever be rescuing us, pursuing us, clinging to us so that we will remain in him. In Isaiah 27, 3, God talks about a pleasant and fruitful vineyard saying, I, the Lord, am its keeper. Every moment I water it, I keep it night and day. He sent the Holy Spirit for just this reason. He promised to send someone to help us saying, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit helps us to dwell with Jesus the Son. Scripture says the Holy Spirit teaches us and reminds us of Jesus' words, convicts our hearts of sin, intercedes for us, and guides us into all truth. The Spirit often draws my attention to my own thoughts, to my inner monologue, the negative self-talk that condemns and focuses inward. And I practice the habit of preaching the gospel to myself. Ray says, don't listen to yourself, talk to yourself. Take it as an invitation when you are angry or despairing or struggling to resist temptation or when you've just messed up to remind yourself, Jesus is better. He chose me. He loves me. I am righteous by his blood. I am a child of God and he is holy, faithful, unchanging and good. The Spirit also prompts us to pray, another vital discipline of abiding in Jesus, and we'll be talking more about prayer in the coming weeks. Abiding is truly the ongoing hope of the gospel. It is Jesus' invitation to cling to him, hold fast to him, daily walk with him, 
coming to him again and again to be refreshed, to be filled, to be forgiven, to be reminded of his promises, to hear his voice and fight the lies of the enemy. It is living and breathing his word, the truth. He longs for us to abide in him because it is for our good. It gives life to our being. Psalm 68, 19 says he daily bears our burdens. Abiding is coming to the foot of the cross every day, giving him our burdens, our weakness, and receiving grace and rest and joy. John Piper said, abiding is trusting in Jesus, remaining in, remaining in fellowship with Jesus, connecting to Jesus so that all that God is for us in him is flowing like a life-giving sap into our lives. Abiding is believing, trusting, savoring, resting, receiving. It is living in the truth of the gospel that we are loved, chosen, and redeemed by God through Jesus' death on the cross, cleansed and purified from all our sin that we might know him and have abundant eternal life with him. If you haven't received Jesus, if you don't know him and you wanna walk in this new abundant life, take the first step to abide in him. Ask him to abide in you. Put your hope and your trust in Him, surrendering your heart, soul, body, mind, your all to Him. And I encourage you to reach out to a leader here at New Frontiers Church so that we can rejoice with you and abide in Him together. I have seen this church, our family, produce great fruit for His kingdom. Let's continue to abide in Jesus together so that all peoples will see His glory.